for values to be useful, they need to inform the kinds of behaviors that you want to see demonstrated by everyone that comes into contact with your business. This is how we do act. This is how we don't act. Don't act. You're listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, a series for entrepreneurs who want to escape the day-to-day grind while scaling their business to seven figures and beyond. And now, your hosts, Brianne Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. Brianne, you mentioned about something about wanting to talk about Jenga. I feel like we should ask the lawyers if we're allowed to talk about Jenga without putting a <laughs> trademark on the end of it. Maybe we should say, I want to talk about those wooden blocks that you can build into a tower and then try and remove one at a time without the whole thing falling down. <laughs> the reason I was thinking about Jenga was it's an al- analogy that we use a lot with our clients about all the reasons why you struggle to stay at the top of the visionary pyramid. And and that's the thing, right? As we were talking about with the visionary pyramid, this whole idea of restructuring your team such that they're in alignment with your delivery methodology and that you're being able to take a step back from all of those how decisions is really critical. Yeah, I think the really important thing to realize is that if you're imagining this image of a, a pyramid or of a stack of Jenga blocks, Ultimately, there's only so many pieces you can remove from the bottom layers before the whole tower doesn't stand very well. Yeah, it topples, right? It it wobbles to start when you've got that one brick that's like holding everything else up. Yeah. And, And that's the situation that our clients so often find themselves in, right? Is they've built systems, they've automated things, they've given stuff to their team, and yet they're the one block on which everything is resting. And I mean, you could try and take yourself out of the bottom of the pyramid in order to put yourself on top, but the tower isn't built for that. And, and what I find so interesting about this visual or this analogy is what happens with that brick that you take out of the bottom and you put on top? I mean, it may be for a fraction of a second, it gets to sit on the top, but then very quickly, it's back down on the bottom and it's surrounded by a mess. And the point is, you know, what do you have to do to keep your Jenga tower from falling to pieces? And this is where the Jenga analogy breaks down a a little bit, although maybe not, because personally, I think that the solution is best described by saying that you replace your Jenga blocks with Lego bricks. The point is that if you have blocks or bricks that aren't glued together somehow by something, whether it's the clinching power of the Lego brick or like in a pyramid, when you're building something out of bricks, there's mortar that holds the bricks together, right? And this something is really interesting. I'm holding back on saying the word just for a second here because it's a piece that is often talked about in traditional business, but I don't think is well utilized or understood there. And as such, it hasn't really transferred well over into the online business space. And that's the word and the idea of culture. Mm-hmm. And so the first question obviously is, what exactly are you talking about when you're saying the word culture? What is culture? 
Especially if we don't want it to be this corporate thing. I always think of like in some of our last day jobs, it was like culture was the thing that was like, this is why you would have parties on random days. Like, you know, there was the employee appreciation day once every day in summer. And yeah, we're going to build team culture. And it was awful. Like the other 300, the other 364 days of the year was like, no, the culture here is not great. You know, we need we need to talk about what culture ought, maybe what it ought to be instead mm-hmm. of what people are used to thinking of it as being. Yeah. And so culture in and of itself is essentially three components. It's the systems and behaviors and practices that are inherent and built into your company. Right. And those are the things that are going to hold those Jenga blocks in place. It's really important to differentiate what is a system, what is a behavior, and what is a practice. So let's start actually with behaviors, because those are the things that I think are easiest for people to wrap their brains around. It's the behaviors that you want to see to know that, you know, your business is operating in alignment with the culture that you want. And the thing with behaviors is, as you said, it's about bringing them into alignment with the culture of the business. And the best way to do that is to tie it back into the values for the business. This is the bedrock and the foundation of your culture. And it's important to know what the values are for your business that are different from the values that someone else's business might have. So, you know, for example, it's very common that people will have a, a value which is like integrity or teamwork, honesty. honesty. And the question that I always have is, could someone else or would someone else proudly state that they run a business without integrity? No. <laughs> like regardless of whether or not there are actually people who operate without integrity, like putting that aside, no one's going to be proud about the fact that we don't use integrity, we're dishonest, and we're anti-teamwork, right? Like these are things that we shouldn't need to have stated as values because they don't tell us anything about how we want people to behave. Of course, we want people to behave with integrity. Of course, we want people to behave with honesty. Of course, we want people who are going to be good team players. That doesn't actually tell us anything about the culture we're trying to build. And nor does it actually set you apart from any of the people around you and any of your competitors. So for values to be useful, they need to inform the kinds of behaviors that you want to see demonstrated by your team, by your clients, by your partners, by everyone that comes into contact with your business. Your values should say, this is how we do act, and should equally say, this is how we don't act. act. Yeah, exactly. And that's a key piece. And in a lot of ways, when I'm, I'm talking this through with clients, I'm going to use the catchphrase, who is your ideal client? Mm-hmm. But it, it's so true, right? That so many times when we're looking at that audience and saying, who are we best positioned to work with? Who are those people? What are their attributes? Those are the same things that we want to see reflected in our business, because that's how you're going to relate with those clients. That's how you're going to communicate with them. And so having that common foundation of the value and thereby the expected behavior that comes with it ties things together really nicely. It's hard to just 
put a value out there and say, this is the expected behavior without also having in place the systems and the practices that back that up. And so when we're talking about systems here, we're talking specifically about cultural systems of which we've identified essentially five. There's the system that you use for strategic communications, the system that you use for hiring, the system that you use for assessment, the system you use for reward, and the system you use for progression or helping people with their professional development. And because Brianne and I happen to come from a background where acronyms are the catchphrase of the day, this is what we consider to be the elements of culture. We call it the sharp culture. Let's start off with the S. Let's start off with the strategic communication. And this one is always fascinating for me because, again, taking it back to the traditional business aspect, there is a rhythm of communication that happens from every year down to every week, sometimes even every day, that helps to underscore and promote the culture of a business. We call this a communications rhythm, and it's essentially how do you translate big picture, purpose, vision, mission, which is always based on your values, down to the day-to-day activities that people are doing. And then equally as important, how do you take that communication from what's happening on a day-to-day basis and feed it back up through the levels of planning and the levels of strategy, which we talked about last week on the podcast. How do you filter the communication back up so you get this communication cycle so that it's not top-down heavy-handed, but it's actually more of a facilitative and inclusive approach? Yeah. And not just facilitated and inclusive, but an iterative approach to where that feedback that comes back up the chain has an impact on the further strategic decisions that happen after that feedback occurs. So when we're talking about the system side of the culture, we're talking about how regularly do you have meetings? Who's involved in those meetings? What is the agenda or the topic or the purpose of those meetings? But it's not just enough to have the system on its own because the truth is that there's pretty universal systems that you can apply to any of these areas. And we give our clients the strategic communications framework and we'll probably talk about it on a future episode, but it's this idea that you've got the system, but the system on its own won't produce the desired behaviors. For that, you need to decide what your cultural practices are. And so the question that I would pose to you, Jill, and I would pose to the people who are listening to this is, if you want to infuse your values into your business, how do you build a strategic communications system that is culture-based and puts in place practices that further your culture rather than what everyone else does? Yeah, and that's a great question. And so the very first thing I would say to go back to is go back to those values and look at how does a value, how do your values impact that cult, that communications rhythm? So if we're talking about a communications rhythm and we say, for example, one of our values is that there's always a better way. And so for us, one of the practices then is in that communications process, that rhythm that we've been talking about, one of the things that we do at all of the levels is look at, okay, what has been working? What hasn't been working? And how can we do better? And that's a practice. 
Yeah, it's also one of these things where the practices evolve as the business evolves. So what might be suitable for a team that has three or five people is going to be very different than the way that you would have five or 10 or 15 people being involved in that practice. Actually, I just got off a call right before we record. We were recording this uh, with one of our clients and we were going through their scorecard where they're tracking all of their metrics. And they're at the point now where their practice of metrics tracking, they have so many metrics on their leadership scorecard that it's burying the trends and burying the data that really is important. And so their practice of evaluating that has to evolve such mm-hmm. that now the team is going to be looking at a subset of that and the leadership only needs to look at the most important pieces. Right. This is why some businesses will have a culture that is much more based on transparency. Other ones will have a culture that's much more based on maybe not lack of transparency, but around keeping people focused within their zones of genius, which might, for some people, mean that we're not as transparent because we want to keep people focused in their lanes, right? There's not right or wrong answers with how you put these practices into place. What there only is, is whether you have intentionally designed your cultural systems to be able to further the behaviors that we want. So we spent quite a bit of time digging into the strategic communications. The same thing ultimately applies for these other four areas. So maybe we won't go as detailed into each of them, but let's at least go through them, Jill, and talk about the difference between a culture-based approach to each of these, as opposed to the way that most people try and approach these things in their business. And I wanna start off happens to be the next one in the acronym, but it's a really big one, which is hiring. So talk to me about how most people hire and how a culture-focused approach to hiring is different. I love talking about this one because so many businesses out there as entrepreneurs, even as traditional businesses, do this from a non-culture-based perspective. And that's when you basically take a job description It's fairly ambiguous and you throw it up and you ask people to submit their resumes Mm -hmm. and you go through and your hiring process is looking at the resume and saying, yeah, it looks like they've got the background that can handle this. And you go and you do a behavioral, what is it? Behavioral interview. I think they call it a behavior. Yeah. So tell me about a time when X, Y, Z happened and you're evaluating them based on their ability to essentially tell you a story about how they handled this particular made up scenario in the past. Yeah. Which may or may not actually be a scenario that they actually have handled, but that's going down a whole nother pathway that we won't (laughs) deal with right now. Presuming that they answered you correctly, then you end up hiring them and you bring them in. But at no point during that process did we actually talk about their fit to the business. We only were focusing on their fit of their skill set and their verbalized explanation of how they might have handled something, a specific hypothetical. And it's really what you're doing in that is that you are biasing your hiring process toward people who can give the right answer verbally, whether or not they actually have the culture fit, the skills, the personality that's going to enable you to take this business to the next level. And so when we're talking about a cultural-based hiring approach, then what we want to do is put that 
behavior, as we were talking about first and foremost, and we want to evaluate is the way that someone does the job a cultural fit for our business. Well, and and not just the way that someone does the job, but also to the way in which we communicate the job. Going back to the very first thing I said, most places take a quote unquote job description and just throw it up. That job description very likely doesn't have any level of culture embedded or described within it. Mm -hmm. And as such, it's a wide open scope as to who's going to apply. Whereas if you take and you actually are able to articulate your culture in your hiring post, you're actually creating an initial filter mm-hmm. that will start to weed out the people that aren't going to be a good culture fit. If you're in business that doesn't pride itself on being formal, writing up a formal job post and being using formal language and formal grammar and all of that will call in someone that is very formal. Yeah. And they're not going to be a good fit for the kind of culture that you're trying to create. It was Angela Loria that made the point in conversation with me, which is that we call them job ads for a reason. It's advertising, it's marketing. And just like we call in the right clients through our marketing processes, we also want to be calling in the right potential team members through the way that we write the job posts, the way that we conduct interviews. Jill and I personally are big fans of the paid test project approach. So we're not getting people to do work for free. That's not in alignment with our values, but getting people to actually do a project so we can see not just their skills, but to actually see how do they approach this? What questions do they ask? What challenges do they run up to? Will they be a cultural fit in terms of the way in which they approach this, communicate it, think about it, etc.? We're evaluating their actual behavior, which is the culture piece, not what they're saying their behavior would be. And so taking that and building off of it, We can then talk about really quickly the next one in the list here, which is the assessment. And same kind of thing from an assessment perspective, right? It's no longer just about assessing the cold, hard facts. Mm -hmm. It's about the fit within the company. It's about discussing how are you fitting in? How is the culture supporting you? How can the culture better support you? How can you support the culture? Yeah, we had a really great conversation with some of our longer term clients today. We once a month we get together and we have a leadership focused discussion. And we talked about the job of leaders when it comes to facilitating and to be able to remove roadblocks for our team members. And so often people think about management as being punitive or heavy handed or about correcting people, right? Performance Mm -hmm. management, et cetera, et cetera. Management in general has just become this can't even think of the word anymore. (laughs) Heavy-handed, patriarchal, top-down, evil, awful thing. (laughs) How's that? When we're talking about assessment, we're really talking about taking this more facilitative approach in alignment with your values. What you need to be looking at here is how can you take a collaborative, co-creative approach or a facilitative approach, as we were talking about with our clients earlier, toward this question of assessment. Rather than having it be a once in a year thing, right? Do it on a regular basis. Constantly check in with 
your employee, ask them to give you feedback on what's causing their bottlenecks. Where do they want to progress? When I sat down with my team back when I was still working in traditional business, I tried to do this as much as possible, even though it wasn't necessarily promoted in the company and sat down and have conversations about how does my team want to develop? Where do they want to fit in? I got to know them personally as individuals because that was a big piece for me was knowing them as an individual rather than as a cog, which is how many of them felt before I took over leadership. Those kinds of aspects really give life to the culture in the business. And again, this is where you can have the same system. You can have an assessment system which says that maybe we do performance reviews, or maybe we schedule one-on-ones, or maybe there is a scorecard that every team member is responsible for. You can have those same systems in place, but the way that they are executed, the practices that you put in place around them are how you ensure that you get the culture that you want. Now, Jill, you talked a little bit about progression and helping people develop in their roles, but that's the P. And if we remember our acronym, it's S-H-A-R-P. So we need to talk about reward first. Reward here is essentially the acronym friendly word for compensation. How do you pay people? But it's more than just pay. And that's why reward actually is a better word for this. Pay is only one component of it, right? Salary, hourly amounts, whatever that ends up looking like for you is only one aspect of how someone can be compensated in doing work for you. There's time off. There are bonuses. There are, there's one in particular business that I can can't remember their name off the top of my head, but one of the things that they promote is one day a quarter where they pay their people to go and volunteer mm-hmm. in their community. That is a culture piece in and of itself right there. They're promoting a culture of community support and encouragement. Yeah. And I think if you've got an existing team and you really want to pick one place to focus to really put some cultural practices in place. I think strategic communications that we talked about first is probably most Mm -hmm. important. But in terms of quick wins and ways that you can really make a lot of change quickly, this reward framework can be very fast. Because the way that you put in practices to support your values you don't have to spend a lot of time. You don't have to spend a lot of money. One of my favorite examples of a values-based reward is companies that say, you know what? We are really big on continuous learning. We want to help people become educated. And so we have a practice in our business that if you want a book, whether it's for work or not, fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter, we will buy it for you. What a great example. It's super cheap, right? That little bit, like as Brianne was saying, it's it's very little from a monetary perspective, but the return that you get on investing in that culture, not just from a culture standpoint, but from like an employee satisfaction standpoint, is huge. Yeah. So really, we talked about the way you pay people. How are you expressing your values through the way you choose to pay people. A lot of people say, I wanna go and hire someone from overseas for $3 an hour. That says something about your culture and that says something about your values. Is that really what you want? Do you wanna be paying above market? That's a different values expression. That's a different way of building a reward-based system and practice that's based on your culture. I know we've been talking about this a lot, but there's one other aspect I want to touch on here because most of the reward-based pieces we've been talking about are part of the compensation structure. 
But there's other rewards too. So like one of the things I used to do with my team was once a month, we would go and we would go down to the local coffee shop a few floors below us. We'd grab a table and I would buy the team coffee and we would sit there for half an hour and just talk yeah. as people. We've and started- that's a reward too. We've started doing that within our virtual team here now where we have co-working hours. And actually, we started inviting our clients to that too because it's fun to just be able to, at the end of the week, blow off some steam, get together, and just relax a little bit and be people, not just be workers or clients and actually build those human relationships with each other. So we've talked about strategic communications, hiring, assessment, and reward. Jill, since you were kind of going down this path a little bit earlier, why don't you take us through a little bit, again, of progression and how most people do the progression system wrong because they're not thinking about it from a culture-first perspective. Well, in a lot of cases, I'll actually go so far as to say that most people aren't thinking about progression at all just because of the fact of how typically organic hiring tends to be, which is this whole concept of, I just want to offload all of these tasks. When we look at progression, it's about how do you want your people in your business to move forward into the future? Are there career paths that they can graduate up into? Or are they coming into a spot and they can't ever move from that spot forevermore? And even if it's not to the extent of career paths, there are really simple, again, progression things that you can do to develop your team members because if you're going to be building the kind of business that we've been talking about over the last several episodes which is based on your team's ability to make good decisions to take ownership to lead the business and drive things forward your business's growth will be limited by your team members growth so if you want your business to grow developing your people is one of the absolute best ways to do that. Now, the problem that people run into is what happens if I develop them and they become great and then they leave? And there's a famous quote, which is what happens if (laughs) you don't train them and they don't leave? What happens to your business in that case? But there's an even richer part to this conversation, which is if you don't train them, are you creating the kind of work environment that they will want to leave. So are you hiring people? Let's go back to those values. Do you have a value? In our case, it's that there's always a better way. For some of our clients, they express it as this idea of continuous improvement or continuous learning. Do you have a value that says we shouldn't be stagnant? If that's the case, then your culture needs to attract people who don't want to stay stagnant and who want to keep getting better. Not everyone comes into a job knowing exactly what their zone of genius is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they discover that over the course of working with you. It's a process to develop mm-hmm. and to fine tune what your zone of genius is. Right. And so facilitating that, again, coming back to removing obstacles, not only helps them, but it also helps you. Ultimately, the more you can help your team members progress and get better at their job and fall more in love with their job and be more in their zone of genius, the easier it will be for your business to grow and to be aligned. If you have the systems and the practices in place, they form the glue that holds your business together because you don't have to be there to figure out how to manage problems, how to pay people how to communicate this, that, or the other thing. You don't have to be there because the culture is there to do that for you. 
And as such, the culture is there and is what is going to drive the business towards growth rather than you having to be the one doing the driving all the time. So it's this culture that keeps everything and everyone in alignment. It's how you make sure it's how you make sure that your team is profitable. Yep. You get to focus on the right things because you're not down in the weeds. Your team is focused on the right things because they're in alignment with their zones of genius. They're doing the right work. They're not wasting their time on things that don't matter. Yeah, exactly. And as such, they're able to free you up so that you're able to focus your time on your zone of genius as well. Yeah. And so ultimately, this culture creates essentially a self-fulfilling cycle, which is driven by your purpose and your values. And when your purpose and your values are driving things forward, you don't have to be the one that's there pulling everything together and pushing it up the mountain. Instead, you get to be part of the culture that really creates the business and the momentum that you want as you grow. Exactly. And you've been listening to all these episodes and you've been hopefully following along with all the exercises. But there's still one last thing that is going to prevent you from being able to really apply this and implement it for yourself. And last time we left it as a spoiler where they had to come back and listen to the next episode before we tell them what it is. Should we do that again or should we tell them? Cliffhanger, like we just cut. End the episode right here. We're not going to tell them anything. No, I'm just kidding. Really what it is, is you've heard, you know, of mindset. You've heard of the way that you think. It's my favorite word, mindset. You can hear it probably in the tone of my voice, right? Not that mindset is unimportant, but... People talk about mindset, they talk about your energy, they talk about the way that you're embodying all of these different things. Those are all elements of what you need to become the visionary CEO of your business. And that's what I really want to encourage you to come back for our next episode to listen to because we're going to go behind the buzzwords to make sure that as you go forward and as you're putting your business together in this way, you don't fall into the trap of not having the appropriate leadership to make it happen. And that's next time on the Visionary CEO Podcast. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Visionary CEO Podcast, hosted and produced by Brian Dick and Jill Giovanazzo. For more information about anything you've heard on the show, visit us on the web at visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast. You can keep the conversation going on social media too. Just use the hashtag visionaryceopodcast. This has been a Podcast Taxi radio production for the Visionary CEO Academy. Hey, it's Brianne here. I just wanted to let you know that everything we're talking about in today's episode is part of what we do with clients at the Visionary CEO Academy. We've got a great program for strategists, coaches, and other online business owners that helps you scale from low or mid six figures to seven figures and beyond quickly, sustainably, and profitably. But most importantly, while keeping your values and your vision front and center. So whenever you're ready, just head on over to visionaryceoacademy.com slash podcast for more info and to get started.